Hello, Dennis. Hello, Jesse. Guess what? How many sacraments are there? Tell me right now. How many there sacraments? Are, well, how many sacraments? Seven. But it depends on how you're defining sacraments. Well, that's right. Most of Vatican II talked about the Holy Eucharist. But this week, we're talking about the one chapter it gave to the other ones and sacramentals. So continuing the conversation on Sacrosanctum Concilium. Also, and your rosary is not a sacramental. Yeah. It's a OPP. It's a OPP. You'll know what, what that, that means. You'll know what that means when you listen to the podcast. And we have a Patreon supporter to thank. Yes, we have a new Patreon supporter, Jane Tuttle. If you want to support us on Patreon, which we would greatly appreciate, you can go to patreon.com slash liturgy. And I have finished the rap song for the Patreon Above $500 a Month Challenge, and I am in the middle of recording it and mastering it and all of that stuff, so that should be ready next week or the week after. And without further ado, episode 21 of season three of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. Jesse, is today talk like a pirate day? It is not, but we can do it anyway. Let's talk about sacraments and sacramentals from Vatican II. (laughs) Well, shiver me timbers. Starting at paragraph 59. How much did the pirate pay for his ear piercings? (laughs) A buccaneer. Oh, man. Let's... um... Let's stop is this, this now. Is this your way to make this a little more interesting? No. There is no that. need. <laughs> yeah, there's no need. To make sacrosanct and cachillion yeah. more interesting. It's like adding more ice cream on top of ice cream. How it's like already ice cream. we have to tell you this, Chris? Mm. Because mm-hmm. you are a man, comma, <laughs> <laughs> who teaches for us, comma, the class called Sacramentals, Blessings, and Devotions. Comma. Yes. Correct? Real well. I have. Right? And uh, now we're talking about the other sacraments and sacramentals. Notice... All kinds of stuff on the Eucharist, and then eh, other sacraments are all tossed together in Vatican II. Well, and what you said uh, at the beginning, Dennis. Like a pirate. Before the, that you're a man? Before the, no, <laughs> before the, uh, the, the tape was rolling. Is the tape rolling, Jesse? We don't use tape anymore, okay? I'm trying to tell you this. Uh, some of these things uh, in this chapter three, the other sacraments and sacramentals. Are fascinating. Uh, they are, but at other times they're just boring. This needs to be revised, and that needs to be revised, and this needs to be revised. But there's a so, reason. Usually there's little kernels of this. So, uh, but Let's look at that 59, though. What is the kernel? purpose of sacraments, Jesse, who uh, doesn't have the cheat sheet in front of him? Yeah, purpose, when are you going to get a text of sacrosanctum? Yeah, a pocket you? version. Anyway, no, no, no. Don't <laughs> distract him. What are the, I don't, what's I the don't need one. You guys are my pocket mm, sacrosanctum. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. The purpose of sacraments is what, Jesse? To... Uh, allow us to configure ourselves to Christ's divine mission. That's not what it says, but that's a pretty, well, good, that's answer. A pretty good answer. Sanctify men, build up the body of Christ, and finally to give worship to God. I should have gotten that right. I took Dennis, our Chris's online uh, sacraments <laughs> course. I probably should have got that right. You should have. You got our certificate, and what's it worth? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. However, that's the two ends of liturgy always, right? The glorification of God and the sanctification of humanity. Well, there's a, thir- <laughs> there's a third end here. Triple well, ends? Well, we, Dennis and I have different uh, translations here. We do. Mine says, the purpose of the sacraments is to, A, sanctify men. Is this multiple choice? Two, 
<laughs> building up the body of Christ. And finally... To give uh, worship to God. To right, and God. I think sanctifying and building up the body are kind of the same so? thing, but they do separate them out into three things here. Yeah, there's an, well, there's an ecclesial dimension, right, to perfect the mystical body of Christ. Right, and you know I love talking about the mystical body of Christ mm-hmm. more than anything else, even architecture, even Veritatis Legitimate. Why, Chris? Why, why, why? Read my mind. Look at my heart. Look at my chest. Why? The mystical body. Who cares? Everybody's in right order doing the right thing. But more importantly than that, what? I don't know the answer. Is it in um, your pocket well, it guide? A, it was a big uh, liturgical movement. Uh, it theme. was, but why? Pius XII yes. wrote about it. Because if you are a member of the mystical body of Christ, you can offer yourself as a victim as a member of Christ's own body and therefore participate in his sacrifice and therefore be glorified as he was glorified. You don't just watch it. You don't just let the priest do it and get your spiritual vitamin pill. You do it. You do it. Do it. Do you do it, that do principally. It, do, it. In, do it now. You do that principally in uh, what chapter two here on uh, the most sacred mystery of the Eucharist. But these other sacraments do something similar to that. Right. They contribute to that building of the body and sanctification. It says they not only presuppose faith, right? So you have to know what you're doing before you get there. But they also nourish, strengthen, and express it. So it requires a little bit of faith to start. But then, as you do it, the stronger it gets, and that's why they're called sacraments of faith. All the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Chris is. Is this? Are we talking about the traditional seven yes. sacraments? Okay. Seven principal sacraments. Definition of which Chris is. Well, ready. Jesse knows this because he took the online course. Go. An outward sign. Dot dot dot. You know the rest. <laughs> An efficacious sign of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to His Church, by which divine life is dispensed to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Never underestimate the power. I used to think grace was this. <laughs> you stop, you're just this quasi quasi sacramental pop like, dispenser. Like a, yeah, like a soda fountain. <laughs> we just go in and you get your grace. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but. In addition, this is a little review, right? That even though there's an objective reality, they need to people need to be disposed uh, to receive this grace in a fruitful way, and so lots of things are around that other than just the Eucharist itself. So, what does it say in mine? It says of capital importance. Does it say that in your Eucharist? No, mine says of its highest importance. Well, same thing. Yes, that the faithful easily understand the sacramental signs. Okay, now we're getting into. A little more really, uh, what, tangible kind of thought, not just, ooh, sacraments are great. However, people need to be able to encounter them for yeah. this grace to work. It's funny how you said that. A tangible kind of thought. There's no such thing as a tangible thought. Right, but see, mm-hmm. right here is this line that's the capital importance or highest importance, that the faithful should easily understand the sacramental signs. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. You know, here is um, one of those areas, I think, that... People uh, look at the text and find maybe some a certain strand of thinking in it that um, is problematic. Not problematic. It doesn't tell the whole picture. That there's this real emphasis, maybe an overemphasis, on understanding. At least yeah, at the surface. What is because what does that mean? Because we can't fully understand. Well, no, no, no. I think what this gets translated into is that the the tangible part is downplayed and the cognitive part is very much uh, in the ascendancy mm-hmm. and as uh, father martis would quote virgil michael on this uh, line a lot and it's really a good one without there's no worship without there's intelligence. no worship without intelligence because everything worships according to its own proper right. nature and ours is to be intelligent and beings. you are an intelligent being so there has to be intelligence and there has to be understanding and there has to be this cognitive element however however 
you are not just simply a mind like an angel, right? You are a mind that's, uh, that's embodied. So the tangible part uh, also needs to be present. And so what, um, what, what some commentators will say is that the, very often the liturgy has gotten to be too, uh, too cognitive and not respected enough the, kind of the other sensory elements of the signs. Is that true, do you think? Uh, sometimes, yeah. First of all, does that make sense? Well, are we talking about what people thought before the council or right now? We're talking about we're now. Talking, we're talking about after the council. The, so the liturgy the, reformed after the council has relied too much on easily understanding the sacramental signs. Instead of seeing the awe and dread of God. I was teaching Odo Kozel's writings today in class, and we were talking about the road to Emmaus. Uh, not the road to Emmaus, the road to Damascus, right? St. Paul's along the line in some bright flash that he doesn't know what it is. And this voice, why are you persecuting me? And we propose, well, what if, you know, Tinkerbell came along and said, oh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Paul, uh, we'd really like it if if you could answer this nice question. Sounds more like Jiminy Cricket uh, to me. <laughs> why are you uh, persecuting Jesus, right? Because the Christians are wrong. And then he would move on, right? But this Big voice, light, you know, all this big dread, something not cognitive, right, but really impressive of the reality was encountered. And so Otto Kausel's thing is you encounter the mystery. You don't just learn some words. He says it's not a, something like it's not a philosophy of life with religious music in the background. It's an encounter with the reality breaking into your world. Oh, and in fact, we, uh, we might do a podcast on this address from Pope Francis to the Congregation for Divine Worship. Sounds like we are. Yeah, it sounds like we are. I guess we've, <laughs> we're committed now. But, uh, and so maybe we should save that from that. But uh, Pope Francis will say in there, liturgical formation of the, pap- uh, of the people isn't simply about knowing ideas. It's about it's more of a kind of a holistic right. formation. I of could be a person, atheist, sacramental theologian, right? I could know it all inside and out and backwards, and not have had the conversion. Yeah. Anyway, so, so enough in uh, commentary to on all that, that recapitulation of what sacraments are. We're there in paragraph sixty, uh, Jonathan Johnson, wherever you are, Holy Mother Church has moreover <laughs> instituted sacramentals. Chris, what's the difference between a sacrament and a sacramental? That's what I say. That's what he always says. Jesse, it's what's like the difference a, it's between It's like a lesser version. <laughs> it, it still points to Christ, but it doesn't do so oh, in Jesse, the same... We don't, no, 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 no. no. It, we don't like that word. Is Christ. Christ... Right. Sacraments don't point to Christ as if he were over there or somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm, they manifest mm-hmm. and Boy, I'm glad I and present. said that just okay. to be an example for everybody yes, else. Thank you. Yeah. No, this is a... This is how they put it. Jesse, you might remember this from this online course. These are sacred signs which bear a certain resemblance to the sacraments. But. But they are not. But they are not. I've always just thought that was, uh, you know, if you, I think as I put it in the class, it's like saying an airplane bears a certain resemblance to a bird. But it's not. But it's not. Well, how does it, how does it, how is it like a sacrament and how is it not like a sacrament? But first of all, sacramentals would be things like what? Rosaries, medals, no, scapulars. No. What would they no, be then? No. There, there are thousands of different types of uh, <laughs> sacramentals I, I, that exist. Do not know any in, of this. I pressed uh, this button. Three, three principal categories, according to the catechism. There are blessings, there are consecrations, and there are exorcisms. So I'm the, talking about sacramentals, the things. Those are, no, no, no. Those are sacramentals. Blessings, consecrations, and exorcisms. Those are sacramentals. Those are sacramentals. So what are the tangible objects? Just things then? 
Uh, those are, some of the things you mentioned are called uh, objects of popular piety, at least ah. according to the catechism. Now, no, I, th- I call them OPPs. OPPs. You done with OPP? Okay. I'm done with OPP. Okay. So uh, th- this at least, I know kind of popularly or colloquially, mm-hmm. we refer to like a rosary as a sacramental or something, but that's not the way at least the catechism uh, arranges People it. are groaning all over the country now. What? Yeah, well, uh, that's just, uh, that's what the texts say. Okay. So now I think sometimes you could call something that has been blessed a sacramental, like a palms or ashes and holy water, mm-hmm. maybe scapulars and whatnot. Anyway, just to, just to know that at least uh, how the, the catechism doesn't classify the rosary or your medal as a sacramental, but as an object of popular piety. And it says here in 60, they signify effects rather than make effects happen or, or uh, to reveal something. Uh, real, like a sacrament was, it says, by them men are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments, and various occasions in life are rendered holy. So if you're interested in the Eucharist, but you don't really live a Eucharistic life outside of Mass, uh, if you ponder the Eucharist, if you think about it, if you are blessed and, and it disposes you to receive the graces of the Eucharist more fully, that's a fundamental distinction between a sacrament which renders present and encounterable, right, and a sacramental which disposes you to receive it. More yeah, fully, I think, more uh, yeah, well, the, the effects uh, of both are grace. The effect of a sacrament is called sacramental grace. Mm-hmm. And the effect of uh, sacramentals is actual rate grace that, pre- the, what's, what's the word? Dispose you, prepares you, right. Yeah, to receive the chief effect of the sacraments. So, uh, right, so the sacramentals are kind of a... Appetizer. Uh, Yes, and a, is an aperitif come afterwards? Yes. Okay, they're an both aperitif. appetizer and aperitif and, of the sacraments. And I don't the, think people think of that part of it very often, right? The aperitif side of it, the after-dinner drink. Yeah, that, but that's what sacramentals a do. A little digestivo. They, yeah, there you go. They, they lead you to the sacraments, and they kind of extend uh, the graces of the sacraments uh, afterwards. And it says that various occasions in life are rendered holy. That's an interesting spin. I mean, especially if you think of the way most people think of sacramentals are kind of these trinkety things that you have around, you know, the OPPs, as you say. Right, right. No, <laughs> see, what, uh, what, the sa- what the seven sacraments do is they address seven key principles in life like being born and maturing and nourishing and recovering from sickness or life-threatening sickness or uh, governance or propagating. Okay, so the seven sacraments address those key seven aspects. Now, what sacramentals do, though, again, if you kind of, if you can... Not think of them as the what you what you put the trinkety type trinkety of, things yeah the Catholic bling type of thing. Uh, they address other moments of life, right? So in the Book of Blessings, there's hundreds of blessings for an engaged couple, uh, 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 parents, uh, uh, a, a, a blessing a child in, in the womb, blessing of parents on anniversaries. Uh, ble- so there's all those those address all of these other various occasions in life. Are so these, out after these seven principal occasions. Are these mutually enriching, or do they go in one direction, one after the other? Uh, do they help each other? Do, who's the they? The, the sacramentals and the sacraments. Oh, yeah, they're, they're absolutely complementary. See, so thus, at number 61, Dennis. Yes. What's it say? It says, for those well-disposed, in other words, those ready to receive these, uh, the Liturgy of the sacraments and the sacramental sanctifies almost every event in their lives, just like you were saying. Well, just Weddings, like you were, you were asking, all of those things, uh, they, they're meant to sanctify every moment of life. 
It says, there is hardly any proper use of material things which cannot be thus directed toward the sanctification of men and the praise of God. Ooh. Birth, birthday parties, flower gardens, blessing of fields. Podcasting. Food, produce, podcasting. We never had these microphones blessed. We should. See, oh. but you, yeah, that's the point. You could. Man. You could uh, bless this endeavor and whatnot. However, Vatican II being Vatican II does the Vatican II two-step, as I call it. Mm-hmm. One forward and one, uh-oh, right? So... Good stuff, good stuff. However, 62 jumps in and says, With the passage of time, however, there have crept into the rites of the sacraments and sacramentals certain features which have rendered their nature and purpose less clear for, to the people of today. And just, you know, it's just, what could you say? You could discuss that. And hence, to that extent, the need arises in, to adjust certain aspects of these rites to the requirements of our time. So that's the revision side of things, right? It's a revising of things. It's not to change and, re- and empty them of their substance, but to make it more noble. Do they give examples of that, or is it yes, just known? Do. Well, yeah, but let's address this point a little bit more. So we were uh, you know, talking about the cognitive uh, and the, the, the knowability part. Um, you know, all the way throughout Sacrosanctum Concilium, they'll talk about, on the one hand, reforming uh, the rites so that they can, so that their inner nature can be made more knowable, and that's important because uh, without intelligence, there is no worse. And if you can't understand, and if you don't know why uh, a certain rite or ritual is celebrated in the way it is, right? See, because this is the rite or the ritual is the uh, the medium where we touch. Christ and the Paschal Mystery. And if it's not um, clear to your mind uh, why it is that this is the case, it doesn't become uh, a means for encountering Christ, but an obstacle. But if it's so clear that it looks cheap and tawdry and one-dimensional, then you're kind of missing this other side of it, which is the breaking in of the mystery. Well, see, that's that's just it. I mean, going to Mass shouldn't be, or any of the sacraments, like going to catechism class, right? And the language of the liturgy isn't simple, uh, didactic, uh, academic language. It's poetic, and it's artistic, and it's beautiful, and there, it can never say everything that, that it means. And there is a lot of mysterious hiddenness as well as revelation in this. And so this has been, I think, the real uh, uh, struggle with reforming the rites is making them their inner essence clear, yet letting them be mysterious and transcendent. That and sounds really difficult to do. It is really <laughs> difficult to do. I remember seeing that pontifical high mass that Cardinal Burke celebrated. He had the Capamania, this 80-foot red silk thing. And then they took that off and they put this other stuff on him. I think we talked about this in another podcast. It took almost three hours. And honestly, most of the time, I didn't know what they were saying. I didn't know what the chant words were. I mean, I suppose I could have followed it with a missile, but it, I just sort of stumbled on this. I didn't know what they were actually seeing, but boy, did I know something important was going on, right? Clothes coming on and off servers and running around 80 feet of silk. You don't do that for just anything, right? So the question is, how do you make it, uh, the reality, the transcendent reality come through as important as this encounter with something majestic and awesome, and at the same time, knowable what you're encountering, not just there's an important thing, but I don't know what it is. How about I know how important this is and I know (laughs) what it is. That would be kind of the ideal, which... I think we don't get to uh, very often. Mm-hmm. But it does give yeah. some suggestions on how this could happen, right? What does it say there in 63, Christoph? Uh, because the use of the mother tongue and the administra- in the administration of the sacraments and sacramentals can often be considerable help to the people. The use of it is to be extended uh, according to the different norms. Okay, so that's the key one is... Uh, vernacular. Vernacular. So English for us. And especially, you know, earlier than even before this, they had given permission to use... Um, the vernacular in the ritual. So for 
people who were sick in bed, they could actually understand what the priest was saying. Things like oh, that. Oh, even the blessing about the old rites too. Mm-hmm, even okay. before Vatican II. Oh, I didn't know that. I think it was sixty-four, right? Or sixty-two. Well, no. The, the, here's a, a, another uh, great dilemma, right? It shows so, how nerdy you are, Chris. <laughs> no, this, it's a hard question, though, right? So, let's say you're going to use the Roman ritual in the extraordinary form. That means you use what is available in 1962. So not right. in 1964. So, but the 64 ritual did come out in vernacular, but because the permission's only given for the 62 books, you can't use it. That's what you're saying, right? That's correct. But it, already in 62 and even in the 50s, there were various degrees of incorporating the vernacular in the 50s and the, in the early part of the 60s. Um, but trying to put your, your hands on that, it's difficult to, to find. So what was permissible in the vernacular, which was had to be said in the Latin, is not an easy question to, to answer. Mm-hmm. So in Vatican II way here, it says in 63b, well, revise the ritual. And we've got some prayers that uh, need to be said um, that would be pastor, pastoral or rubrical, um, that things are not to be admitted. And then we can sort of zap through all kinds of stuff, you know, in mission lands, initiation rites. Are found oh, wait, go, back to, go back to 64. So oh, this is a huge one. Huge. And the catechumen for adults comprising several distinct steps is to be restored and to be taken into use at the discretion of the bishop. What are we talking about here, Jesse? <clears throat> you are talking about the um, those who are entering the church during the Easter vigil. Uh, yeah, so the, how old are they, generally? Um, they gosh, are I know. And babies or adult, uh, adults? Adults, yeah. So this is the RCIA. Soon to be OCIA. Oh, yeah. OCIA. Okay. OCIA. Yeah, so this is one of the restorations uh, called for by the Second Vatican Council. There was an order for baptizing adults that was being worked on in the early 60s, uh, but the kind of the, the restoration of the ancient catechumenate from the patristic time is called for here in uh, 64. So that's one of, the, one of the key things. Yeah, so a lot of the stuff we're dealing with now, where does RCA come from? Well, here's the beginning of it, the planting of the seed. Then initiation rites that are in mission land. So this, you know, we talked about... Uh, variations, legitimate variations in the liturgy, but this recognition that initiation rites in African tribes may be very different than what we're used to. It says they can be brought into the ritual if they're made suitable. Uh, and there's quite a bit about initiation of uh, adults there. 67, the rite uh, of baptism for infants is to be revised, and actually we're about to receive a new rite for infant baptism. It's been approved by the bishops. It's uh, waiting. Really? Yeah. What's Hmm. uh, different about it, I think what is most significantly different about it, is in the current rite for the baptism of children, it doesn't give a lot of information about how this is celebrated within Mass. It's very sketchy on uh, the details for that rite. So, but this one, uh, with the help of the bishops, uh, what they've submitted is there's real particular specifics about how uh, the rite for the baptism of an infant would take place during the Mass, about the meeting at the door. Are you allowed to hold the baby up and bless the congregation with the I baby? I don't do think you'll think find so. oh, Okay, no. well, we'll look out for that. Yeah, yeah, look out for that. <laughs> it uh, also gives a new thing on uh, baptism when there are a lot of people in attendance, which, you know, when I was baptized, it was a tiny little baptistry, and there's a picture of it, and the godparents are there, and the priest and me, and that's it. But now we have aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins, etc., so... That became known as this ecclesial uh, event, and not just a private event with the godparents and the, the baby. Well, and godparents too. I mean, questions oh, you mean about baptism with like a bunch of people present, not right. like a bunch of people, people being, being baptized. baptized? No, no. Okay, no. got it. I was so good. Back in the day, there there might have been ten, ten kids being baptized, but the godparents went in, you know, as a little group of two or three with the priest, and that was the baptism. That was it. Oh, which is okay. why baptism baptistries were offered 
often small and separate buildings almost or separate rooms and now the baptistries are often in the church itself so that larger groups can be there during that baptism yeah have you been to a baptism in the extraordinary form i never have no I've been a godparent for two kids in the extraordinary form. You're such a tradie. It's great. You're tradie it's great. Well, there's a lot of very remarkable, uh, this, this could be another whole podcast. The exercise, the salt, right, and the baby, and right, more exorcism right. than we have now. And it's even, you know, back at, uh, where is that, number 67, it talks about the role of parents and godparents. It's the godparents who do a lot of the kind of the heavy lifting in the uh, rite of baptism. Well, it depends on how big form. the baby is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, they hold the, the child the whole time. They carry the, the child into, uh, into the church and into, into the baptistry. So the parents really have kind of a... Uh, That's, I like a, that. I like that the godparents are more involved because they should be. Yeah, well, you know, this is, uh, again, this would be a good podcast. The roles of parents and godparents and also their duties should be brought out more clearly in the rite itself. Now, hmm. if, you, if you just compare the rites and what parents and godparents do in each of the two forms, uh, just by the, the, the things that they do, it, it would, this would be a ritual expression of what they are supposed to do spiritually. So you could do kind of a study the, that way. I mean, what, what are the two rites ask of parents and godparents and how does that as the, the snub at number uh, 60, 67 says how do those um you know actually signify the different roles of parents and godparents i will tell you this tell we us could, we could do um you could actually do another whole podcast on godparents and sponsors i tell you, there are more questions that come in to, to a liturgy office about godparents and sponsors than um that's certainly in the top five all sorts of uh, questions and confusions mm. about who can be a godparent and who can't be a godparent. What are they supposed to do and whatnot? But very interesting. And I don't know if we have time to do a whole other podcast on what's left, with the rest of the things in here. It sort of, sort of goes through confirmation, when you can do baptismal water, extreme unction is now called anointing of the sick, right? See, but let's, t- let's take a confirmation. Uh, I, I know you want to wrap this up. But, you know, way back when we talked about the rights are be, to be revised so that their inner meaning becomes clear. I mean, what, what's, what do people talk, what do your parents talk about when they were confirmed? What happened to them? They got slapped. Yeah, so apparently it was a part of the right where the, the bishop would, you know, tap Wait, or Wait, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Uh, and again, I guess it was meant to signify the, uh, you know, that the person was supposed to be a defender, uh, a warrior, if you want to put it that way, a soldier for Christ, defending the faith. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's what the symbolic meaning was. Well, we don't do that anymore. Okay, so the question is, if you're going to reform, you know, the rite of confirmation, okay, what what does that little ritual action signify? What did it confuse? What did it clarify? What did it contribute? What did it help to signify? What did it help to uh, make a reality? And well, at least the reformers, uh, when they reformed the rite of confirmation, thought that was one of the things hmm. that uh, was to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad it went before I was confirmed. Mm, yeah. I'll smack you later if you want. Get, <laughs> no, I said I don't it. want that. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I, want, I want you to have the fullness of experience of your... Nah, I'm all right. I'm good. Your, Toad's uh, good. Whatever. But in the end, you know, it says all these things are supposed to be revised based on this principle of enabling the faithful to participate intelligently, actively, and easily. This is 79. I jumped ahead of it. And the requirements of our own time should be uh, weighed. And, and that's the thing that all of these things were meant to do, at least in these broad categories that the Vatican II has. We have mysteries that are meant to be encountered. When you encounter a mystery, you're changed by it. This is what an efficacious sign does if you are properly disposed. And so this kind of two-step thing. Know what you're doing, and then let the sign 
be as full as it ought to be. And so they were really interested in this language of restoration. Somewhere along the line, the church had these great, awesome things, and somehow they became minimized or covered up in accretions, and they wanted to bring back the fullness of that sign so they could be encountered. That's how I, some people feel right now. <laughs> well, I think that's part of the problem, right? So we said, okay, how do we make these things so obvious that everybody understands them? And then somehow they can lose the heft of the, the breaking in of these wonderful fullness of the heavenly mysteries. And so our time now is not to throughout Vatican II because some people didn't, don't do it in a dignified manner, but to say, how can we read the documents? How can we use the books we have and bring in the great depth of tradition so that when someone says, wow, I'm getting baptized, I'm encountering a, an awesome mystery and not just some cheap little version of, uh, you know, salt, what do they call it? Small beer back in the old days, watered down beer. It sounds like there should be some type of... Um I don't know, academic institutions and teach people these things. Well, I think the liturgical institute. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Heard that's a pretty good place. Totes good. Yeah. I, I do have one um, practical or logistic question about all of this. When they were going through this in at the council, did they know that they were going to have to revise the rights to all of the? Absolutely. Sure. No, that, that's just what they call for. Okay. The, this right. So this should is be, the, okay. No, got they'll, it. they'll almost say. To each of these, the right should be, be revised. revised so that the inner oh. essence and nature. Okay, of so the this sacrament. is the foundation before yes. we got the new right of ordination, right of right. matrimony. Right. Okay, got it. Right, and so then the uh, what was it, was it called? The concilium mm-hmm. initially, and then um, or the, then then it had many names. The Congregation for Divine Worship. But they so probably the, didn't. They're want the it. ones who did the actual nuts and bolts. And they revised. knew they couldn't do that at the council, right? That would have been no. too much. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they never intended to. They, they, I think they say, I mean, this precedent started with the Council of Trent, is that Trent gave the responsibility of actually doing the revisions over to the Pope. Oh. Okay, and so in the Pope's name, the various congregations uh, would do the revisions. Got it. Now, what happened before that? Uh, I think there was just a lot more of a individual, a kind of a diocesan-specific um, way that these things uh, were celebrated and adapted and revised by more local uh, groups but with the council of trent and the protestant reformation there was a there was a need a necessity for kind of a centralization i'm all for that still yeah with us today all right uh chris you sticking around for a question maybe is it four o'clock yet no it's not (laughs) okay i'll start relax you're not even leaving until tomorrow oh yeah I bet you thought you were going to listen to a Bishop Barron ad not or, or like time. a Scott Hahn ad. Not this time. No, it's a different ad. Have you ever wished, Jesse, that you could take courses with the content of the Liturgy Guys and the Liturgical Institute in the very comfort of your own home? I, I have not, but that's because I work here. But oh, darn I, it. I can imagine what it would be like if I did. Well, for those who do, we now have online courses we could call personal enrichment, continuing education on various topics. Four of them are come, I'll be up there soon. Two are there right now. Two there now. And by March 19th, there will be three more. So five total. Uh, lots of Dennis and Chris goodness. So you can go to www.liturgy.online. Three with me. Ha ha ha. Only two is Chris. So it's a little competition. Please register and watch. Mostly for, for Dennis's For classes. my classes. We have a big thermometer on the wall and I want Chris to lose. So please go watch Sacramental Aesthetics, right? Study of Beauty in the Liturgy, one's on music documents in the Liturgy, and then the next one will be on active participation and what Vatican II really meant by that term. And Chris, did you want to add anything? Nope. He wants to know where they go to uh, find these online. www.liturgy.online. Excellent. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is? class anyone 
This question comes from Anonymous. Uh, if I am, oh, yeah, Kunigunda. We haven't had Kunigunda. Yeah, Kunigunda, number one. If I am not in a state of grace and I attend like Mambo mass. Number, number five? <laughs> yeah. Hey. Sorry. He's talking over there. Wait, why, why do you know that song, by the way? Everybody knows that song. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. All right. A little bit anonymous in my life. Okay. <laughs> if I am not in a state of grace and I attend Mass, I do not receive communion. However, at the beginning of Mass, the priest gives us absol- absolution during the penitential act. Mm-hmm. Why would I still not receive communion even though I was just given absolution? How does it differ from a normal confession between just the priest and myself? Do you know what I think? I think Chris has the answer to this. <laughs> Tell us, Chris. <laughs> I thought uh, you were going to answer. No. <laughs> He's got the missile in front of him. Well, I know, I know what the, the book says, and then yeah. you can explain the theology. Well, I'll try. I don't know. At uh, number 51 in the general instruction of the Roman Missal, where it describes the penitential act. Uh, let's see. What does it say? What does it uh, say, everybody Chris? expresses uh, uh, sorrow by means of a formula of general confession. The rite concludes with a pre-absolution, which, however, lacks the efficacy of the sacrament of penance. Mm-hmm. So why do it at all, then? Uh, uh, because yeah. it, it still uh, uh, forgives sins. It would be forgiving venial sins. Uh-huh. Okay, but the uh, nor what's the what's the word uh, that's used the normative way the normal way uh, for the forgiveness of mortal sins is in through individual confession and absolution. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they are they're not the same thing, even though they both uh, forgive at least venial sins. The penitential act, at the beginning of mass, is not meant to does not have the efficacy of absolving from mortal sins. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That is pretty straightforward. And I think it is as simple as that. All right. The church does always require individual confession, one-on-one for the forgiveness of mortal sins, really in every situation, even in the uh, extension of general absolution in times of danger, right? It's not a confession outside of the confessional. It's a a thing until you can get to the confessional and have that fullness of encounter with a person, right? And that person is Christ manifested in the priest and the forgiveness of sins, word spoken, reality made real in the fuller way. So there it is. Yeah, it even says that the that those who receive general absolution must resolve to confess individually at the next available uh, moment. All right. If you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Wait, keep like, talking. Chris is trying know, not to cough. He's holding not it to cough. cough, not to cough. Or tweet us at liturgyguys. I think he's turning blue. Thank you, and uh, God, God bless. <coughs> the Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>